Hi, everybody. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is experience number 25, Summer Camp Part 6. And I'm calling this one Serve What's Worth Serving. Uh, And it was a different title until a couple hours ago when (laughs) my wife called me at work and said, uh, our five-year-old son stuck a bead up his nose and we can't get it out. (laughs) So I had to, and he's like freaking out in the background and his sister's scared. And I had to uh, start calling urgent cares in the area to see who took our insurance. And while I'm in the middle of this, uh, Corey calls me back and says they tried some different things to get it out. Didn't work. And then all of a sudden the bead just starts sliding down his nose and it's (laughs) slid out. So thankfully we can laugh about it. Now, uh, but my wife talked to him about <laughs> the, uh, non benefits of sticking things up our nose and, uh, came home, gave him a hug and asked him <laughs> his experience with it and, and why he thought he should do that. And one of the things I asked him was, <laughs> was that worth doing? And he said, what does that mean? <laughs> and I said, are you glad you did it? And he said, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do what's worth doing, bro. So title, serve what's worth serving. And here's the question. What's important to you? What are your priorities? What is it you value? What are the choices you make over other things? Because what we prioritize, what we value, what we choose says something to others about who we are. For instance, uh, whenever I'm on an airplane, if I have a choice I will always take the aisle seat. Always take the aisle seat. Um, some people like the window. I like the aisle because what's more important to me than getting the best view of out the window and whatever's going out got going on outside is the ability to go to the bathroom whenever I want and not bother anybody. That's what I prioritize. And if I need to just get up and go walk back and stand in the back, which you're not really supposed to do, but sometimes you do it for a few minutes because... You don't want to sit there for that long. How many of you raise your hand at home or wherever you're at if uh, on an airplane you have your choice of seat, you pick the aisle? Yep. Yep, that's me. Raise your hand if you would pick the window. That's your priority. That's what you value. You want to see outside. Or you just don't want to have to look at anyone. You just look out the window. Um, Or raise your hand if you're one of the weirdos in like the middle seat. (laughs) I don't imagine a lot of hands are up. Maybe a couple. Uh, Okay, here we go. If you were at Disney World and you had time for one ride and your two choices were Space Mountain or Splash Mountain, Space Mountain where you go fast and it's like you're going through space, Splash Mountain where you go slower but you go up this mountain and then you go down this waterfall and you get wet at the end. Raise your hand if you want Space Mountain. Raise your hand if you want Splash Mountain. Yeah, Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain would be mine. Okay, how about this one? You're going on a vacation uh, by your, with your family, with friends, whatever, and your choices are, like you have one chance this year to get away. Uh, you have, your choices are the beach, sit at the beach or, or by a pool at a resort by a beach, or going to the mountains and going skiing or snowboarding, or going to a cabin in the middle of nowhere and just like kind of sitting there. Raise your hand if you're a beach person and you want to go to the beach. Uh, that's typically me and definitely my wife. Raise your hand if you're going to the mountains, you're going skiing or snowboarding. You just want to, you just want to stare at those mountains. Uh, I don't blame you. And then raise your hand if you're going to the cabin in the middle of nowhere. 
just you and your family. You don't need to be around anyone else. You just want to recharge with them. Yeah, what we choose, we'll say something about what we, what we prioritize or value. It's uh, your birthday dinner. Your choices are pizza or Chinese food or a hot dog. Or you can fill in the blank on this one because you have probably something else. Uh, raise your hand if it's pizza. Raise your hand if it's Chinese food. Raise your hand if it's a hot dog. You just want a hot dog. Uh, fill in the blank. Here you go. Olive Garden because you want one of those mints after. Raise your hand if it's the Olive Garden. Yeah. Okay, one more. You're not feeling well. You're sitting on the couch or laying on the couch and you get a movie. You have one movie. What is it? Is it a, is it a comedy? Like one of those... You just want to laugh at something, even if it's stupid funny, uh, or a scary thriller, or Harry Potter. Raise your hand if it's comedy, because that's me. Raise your hand if it's scary thriller, and if it's Harry Potter. Yeah, what we say, what we choose, what we prioritize, what we value says something about who we are. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a uh, story in the Gospels where Jesus talks about priorities and values. Then I want to talk about one of the best lines that I've heard or read in the last year. And I, I honestly don't know if I've said this in the podcast before. Uh, and then I want to talk about six things that we cannot serve if we're serving God. Okay, here we go. We often know this passage as uh, you can't serve two masters. And this is found in Matthew chapter six, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He doesn't say a few people can. He says nobody can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Maybe not right at the beginning, but eventually. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And the word Jesus uses for money here is the word that kind of means general wealth or possessions. Um, so it doesn't just refer to money, the word Jesus uses, but also um, I would say it can represent anything. You can't serve both God and money, or you can't serve both God and really anything else <laughs> you shouldn't be serving. So this passage, uh, it's about where we store our stuff, which is really about priorities. What are we prioritizing? Are we uh, serving things that belong in the kingdom of God or are we serving other things? Are we bringing heaven to earth or, or are we bringing other things to earth? It's about where we store our stuff on, on earth uh, or in heaven. And then, it, uh, so it's about our stuff. It's also about our heart. This is about what we're devoted to because our heart will automatically be drawn to whatever it is we're devoted to. Our heart will automatically be drawn to whatever it is that we value. It can't be any other way. So this is about, this is about where we store our stuff. This is about our heart. This is about our eyes. Jesus uses the phrases, uh, uses the phrases unhealthy eyes and healthy eyes, which is really about greed and generosity. So, talks about unhealthy eyes. Another other translations, some say evil eyes. The unhealthy eye is uh, the person who stores up things for themselves. It's the it's the it's the person who just holds so tightly, white knuckles, 
their stuff. It's a thing, things that the person that doesn't really understand what's going to last and what isn't going to last. It's the person who cares about uh, what other people think about how much stuff they have. So he talks about the unhealthy eye, which is really about greed. And then he talks about the healthy eyes, which is really about generosity. The healthy eye holds their stuff loosely. The healthy eye understands what actually matters, what's going to last, what isn't, what there is actually going to last in the kingdom of God and what's going to have to be left behind. The healthy eye isn't bothered by someone else having something that they don't. This is about where we store our stuff. This is about our heart. This is about our eyes. And this is about who or what we serve, which is really about values. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. Now, this is, Jesus is using slave imagery here because in Jesus' day, uh, slavery was a common accepted practice. We would not recommend this anymore, but uh, what makes this a good illustration for Jesus is everybody in his audience would have been familiar with slavery and how it worked. And what Jesus, it would have been common knowledge that a slave, it, it wouldn't be possible for a slave to wholeheartedly serve two different masters because at some point, these two masters are going to have differing commands on this slave. And at some point, the slave is going to have to choose one master over the other. And Jesus says, uh, this is the same way with following me. This is the same way in the kingdom of God. If you try to serve me and something else, the only outcome of that is eventually you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You're going to hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and anything else. This is about our stuff. It's about our heart. It's about our eyes. It's about what we serve. And the question is, what are we serving? <laughs> Are we serving what's worth serving or are we serving other things? Are we serving things that will last? Are we serving God or are we serving something else? Now, here comes one of the best lines I've heard in a long time. Uh, I came across this uh, article on addiction a few months ago. Now that I'm saying this, I think I did say this in the podcast before, but still, maybe not. And this this, uh, uh, author, it's fascinating. They talk about what happens in the brain when we're addicted to something? So the process, according to this article and this author, is first there is the preoccupation. So say you, you're, you're addicted to cheese. <laughs> you can't get enough cheese and your doctor's like, no more cheese. This is bad for you. Uh, it starts with preoccupation. You can't stop thinking about it. I need cheese. I need cheese. I need cheese. Then comes the actually craving it. Okay, if I don't get cheese, I need cheese. If I'm going to feel better, I need cheese. I actually, I crave this stuff now. Like I'm not, I'm not the same if I don't have cheese. Then comes the using it. So you actually eat the cheese. And then that leads into feeling temporary relief. It's like, ah, feel better about myself for, for a, a short time, which then is also leading to guilt. I shouldn't have done that. I did it. I wasn't supposed to do it, which then leads to actually feeling worse about yourself than you did before you ate the trees. So you have cheese, so not trees. Uh, cheese would make more sense. So you have the preoccupation, you have the craving, you have the using it, and then you have the ultimately feeling worse about yourself. Fascinating article. And this author says uh, a couple interesting lines. One is, uh, all addiction is bad, whether it's drugs, alcohol, or idealism. Meaning, of course, we can be addicted to bad stuff. We know that. We can also be addicted to good stuff. 
We can be addicted to ourselves. We can be addicted to our boyfriend or girlfriend. We can be addicted to our job. We can be addicted to sports. You can be addicted to bad stuff, obviously. You can also be addicted to good stuff. And this author says, addiction is the repetition of what almost works. That's how they define addiction. Addiction is the repetition of what almost works. And then uh, the even better line is, it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. What a line. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. Yeah, have you, have you experienced this in your own life? It almost worked. This is why addiction, by the way, is so powerful. It promises to deliver something. And it almost does, but it falls just short, leaving us thinking, okay, if I do this again, maybe it'll work this time, even if it's subconsciously. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. And when we're so preoccupied with something and when uh, we're craving something so, when we're actually serving that thing, it is then impossible for us to serve something else. How many of you know someone who's been addicted to work? They're addicted to their, their job specifically or just work in general. It's like they couldn't stop. They couldn't rest. How many of you uh, know someone who's been addicted to a substance? How many of you know someone who's been addicted to pornography? How many know someone who's been addicted to religion, by the way, because it's possible to be addicted to a good thing? And being addicted to religion, let's point out, is not the same as being addicted to God. Uh, And here's a couple insights about when people are so preoccupied with something. One, it will always influence and affect the people closest to them. Whatever the addiction is, it will always, and you know this, you've experienced perhaps someone who's been addicted with something, it will always influence and affect the way they treat you, how much time they spend with you, the ways they love you. Uh, and also, the person who's addicted to the pornography, the, the substance, the work, the religion, uh, they, it is impossible for them to be preoccupied and so invested in serving that thing and also be serving God. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. Now, here's a question. What almost works for you? What almost works for you? And let's leave the word addiction behind here because I'm not suggesting we're addicted to anything. But we are human. So chances are there are times when we chase things and are preoccupied with things that that promise to deliver something and they just don't. It almost worked. What what is it that has promised to deliver you something and it didn't and maybe you got mad at this thing for not (laughs) delivering it. uh, But... The truth is it couldn't. It doesn't have the power to deliver what it promises to deliver, making us actually feel worse. And the truth is, whatever that thing is, you can't serve both God and that thing. So here we go. Six examples of things that you you can't serve if you're serving God. And these are designed, uh, this is a summer camp series. These are designed for high school students. But as you will see, I bet there's some overlap. And maybe we'll say a word or two in here uh, for things that aren't designed for high school students. But here we go. You can't serve both God and popularity. 
Or maybe we can also say you can't serve both God and status. So the desire, and by the way, there's a desire underneath all this. And normally the desire is good. We're just going about it in probably a poor way. So you can't serve both God and popularity or status. The desire typically here is to be liked or to be known or to want community. Uh, Or maybe for status, maybe the desire is, is to be respected. And so there's this preoccupation that kicks in. Uh, either I just want a lot of friends or I just want to get the promotion or I just want people to know me or I just want, I want people to, to know who I am. And so you start to uh, do whatever it takes to climb the ladder. You start to put down whoever you need to put down and so you can get ahead. You start to say things you wouldn't normally say. Maybe you're in school. You start to do things you wouldn't normally do. You start to wear what other people wear. You start to talk how other people talk. And it's all this departure from who you are. And maybe it happens. You're popular or, you, or your status has just climbed in one way or another. You got that 1,000th friend on Facebook or you got those couple hundred likes on your post. And you're like, yes, I did it. Uh, and it almost worked. <laughs> but not quite because whatever the situation is, if that's what you were serving popularity or status, you realized that in the process of it, you lost a piece of your soul and you know it and other people know it. And you realize, man, it's great to be liked. It's great to be known. It's great to have community. It's great to get promotions at work. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great to have friends on Facebook, but it's nothing to serve. If I'm going to serve what's worth serving, it can't be this. You can't serve both God and popularity. You can't serve both God and status. Uh, Number two, you can't serve both God and perfectionism. Oh, man, I'm I'm, I'm kind of preaching to myself on this one. So the desire, the good desire uh, behind underneath perfectionism is often worth. We want to have worth. We want to know we have worth. We want others to know we have worth. And then there's this preoccupation that comes in. I have to be the best at this. I have to get an A on the test. I have to get the starting position on this team. I have to get the lead role in the player musical. Uh, My lawn has to look better than everybody else's or I'm going to be ticked. I have to mow it just and have those lines just perfectly, whether it's diagonal or horizontal, however I want to do it. Uh, My car has to be the cleanest. (laughs) My kids have to look the best out in public. You can't serve both God and perfection. And so you start to uh, put more pressure on yourself than anybody has ever put on you. And this is no, you start to have unhealthy expectations of others, because if, if you expect this of yourself, it's going to leak into your relationship with others. Uh, you start to uh, study more than anyone else studies. You start to practice more than anyone else practices and, uh, all for the sake of being the best or being perfect. And maybe it happens. You end up better than everyone. You got the A on the test. You got the best GPA in the class. You got accepted to the college that you wanted to go to. You got the lead role or the starting position. Your lawn looks fantastic. Your kids, man, other people think that they are top notch. Uh, And it almost worked. (laughs) But what you realize is this didn't actually deliver because the lawn's going to grow again and I'm going to have to make sure it's perfect all over again. 
another test is going to come in a couple of weeks and I'm going to have to put myself through this torture all over again. There's going to be another team to, to play on. There's going to be another musical or there's going to be another play to be in. Man, my kids are going to wake up tomorrow and so am I. And we're going to have to go out in public again and I'm going to have to put on the charade one more time. Man, being great at stuff, having other people respect you, that's fantastic. But it's nothing to serve. No, this isn't worth serving. You can't serve both God and perfectionism. Next, uh, you can't serve both God and dating relationships, or you can't serve both God and sex, or we'll go back, you can't serve both God and pornography. Uh, the desire I've noticed behind some of these issues uh, is to be wanted or to be noticed, which are good desires, to be wanted and to be noticed. So there's this preoccupation of give me attention, I need attention, I need to feel wanted, uh, whether it's from an actual person, whether it's for someone on, on, I, that I clicked play on, on TV or whatever it is. Um, I want people to notice me. And so you start to take down the walls of integrity a little bit. You start to give yourself away in ways that you aren't meant to give yourself away. You start to, to, to do things you wouldn't have done last year or the year before that or the year before that. You start to rent things on the TV that, that you never thought you'd be renting. And, and, uh, you start to date someone new every couple of weeks and maybe it happens. Maybe more and more people notice you, or at least you feel more noticed or you feel more wanted or you feel more, whatever it is, loved, even though it's not, not a real actual love. And, uh, it almost worked. <laughs> it almost worked. But then, you realize the thing you were chasing to make you feel fulfilled, because this comes from feeling unfulfilled in a way, it actually made you feel more empty instead of more filled up. Yeah, and you realize that this is not worth serving. There was a moment, there was a second where I thought it was, but, but now I realize this isn't worth it. You can't serve both God and dating relationships. You can't serve both God and sex. You can't serve both God and pornography. Next. Uh, you can't serve both God and substances. You can't serve both God and alcohol or drugs. Uh, the desire here oftentimes is to escape or to be someone else. And I would even say there's a, there's a, even a deeper desire than that, which is to be happy. And so there's this preoccupation of, I need to not be me right now. I need to escape. I need to try to, I need to be someone else. Um, whether it's an actual someone else or it's a different version of me, just not in the mind I'm normally in. Or I, I, I'm not happy and, and I'll try anything <laughs> to be happy for a little bit. So you start to drink, you start to smoke, you start to take the pills, whatever it is. And, and it happens. You've escaped. You feel temporarily better or more free or more outgoing or you're not thinking about the problems you were thinking about a couple hours ago. You've escaped. In your mind at this moment, you're happy for a short amount of time. It almost worked. But then you wake up the next morning. Or then it wears off. Or then you realize what you did <laughs> when you were using that stuff. And uh, you realize you didn't actually escape anything. You only added more problems on <laughs> You felt better for a time, but now you actually feel worse about yourself. And you realize, man, it would be great. It's great to be happy. 
uh, it's great to not think about problems for a little bit, but, but it's nothing, this is nothing to serve. You got to serve what's worth serving. You can't serve both alcohol and drugs or substances. Two more. Ready? You can't serve both God and social media, <laughs> or you can't serve both God and your phone. Um, when's the last time you went to the bathroom without your phone in your hand? <laughs> I just thought of that question. We don't need to get into that. The desire here, oftentimes, with social media and our phones is to look good or to be attached or to feel connected. Again, good desires, not bad desires at all. Then there's this preoccupation of like, Either others have to think my life is fantastic or I have to put on this persona of something better than I actually think I am, or I have to be in the loop. I have to be connected. I have to always know what's going on. I think they call that FOMO in some places, fear of missing out. So you start to take pictures of what you're eating for dinner (laughs) and posting it and checking every five minutes to see how many people are liking it. Or you take 15 selfies of yourself and the first 14 are deleted right away because you don't like the angle but then that fifth one is good enough to post or you become closer to your phone than you do any human being that you know (laughs) how many of you your phone is the last thing you look at before you go to bed and it's the first thing you look at when you wake up yeah good night phone (laughs) And then maybe it happens. Uh, Others tend to want your life because they've been given this perception of it. Or you're constantly getting text messages. Or um, you feel more connected than you've ever felt in your life. So that your part of the goal was, man, I hope others want my life, even though I don't really want my life. And and maybe it actually happens. By the way, um, I said this before, we, we... in a previous experience, statistically, we're more unhappy with our life the more we look at social media and what's going on with other people. Because we're comparing our inside, we're comparing like our insides with their, our interiors, we'll say, with their exteriors. Because um, we're getting their highlight reel. There's also, by the way, um, our necks are getting jacked up. This is actually a thing now doctors are talking about. I've heard it called text neck in one by one person. And then I just saw... Uh, like a clip of a news story where, where doctors are talking about this. I forget what they call it, but we're looking at our phones so much. And by the way, the you heard the feeling where um, you feel like you, you get a text, like the vibration goes off in your pocket and you realize, oh, my phone's not even in my pocket. That's how bad we get like this dopamine hit when we get a text messages, text message or a message on Facebook. And um, we crave that now. We actually, our body's now looking, looking for that. So Maybe it happens. Others want your life. We feel connected. Uh, or we're constantly getting texts. Surfacy, we feel connected. And it almost worked. But it couldn't quite deliver. And we realize in 2019, when we have more ways to be connected than ever, we actually feel more lonely than ever. You know, there's a country right now that has an official position called the Minister of Loneliness. <laughs> uh, yeah, we think, man, I this didn't looking good in front of others or feeling attached or, or, or feeling connected. That's great, but it's nothing to serve. And, and um, technology wise, we've come a long way and it's fantastic that we can talk to people on the other side of the world on our phones or computers face to face ish face to face ish, but it's nothing to serve. 
Serve what's worth serving. You can't serve both God and social media or your phone. Last one. You can't serve both God and comparing or deception or gossip or hate. Uh, there's with each of these, there's this desire to feel good about yourself. That's the, that's the good desire. We want to feel that's essential to joy, feeling good about yourself. But then there's this preoccupation of I'm not happy with me. So I have to look better than you. <laughs> I might not anything be anything special, but at least I'm better than you. So you start to, uh, this is the disease of comparing. You start to compare yourself to others. And obviously we do this in a way where at least in our perception in this area, we are a, above or better than someone else. So, cause why would we compare ourselves with someone that would put us <laughs> below them? No, no, we got to be better. Uh, so we start comparing, we start deceiving and, and spread saying things that aren't true either about them to bring them down or about us to build us up. We start to gossip, we start to spread things that make other people, uh, have a worse view of that person. We, we start to hate people who aren't like us, by the way, if you don't like people who aren't like you, that is like a crystal clear sign that you're there's there's something about yourself you're not happy with and it happens we feel better about ourselves we put ourselves up above and we put someone else below it 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 almost delivered we felt that way for a second but we realize how we got to that feeling we realize the way we've treated others uh, we realize what's actually going on in our own heart and our soul and realize feeling good about myself. That's essential. I, I, I got to find healthy ways to do that, but it's nothing to serve. Serve what's worth serving. You can't serve both God and comparing or deception or gossip or hate. So then the question becomes, okay, what do we do? Jesus talks about priorities and values and putting things first. What do we put first? What's important to us? Uh, I'll answer those questions with these questions. Whatever it is you're about to say, whatever it is you're about to do, whatever it is you're putting first, who or what does this serve? Does it serve God or does it serve something else? Does it bring king, the kingdom of heaven to earth or does it kind of keep <laughs> the kingdom of heaven at a distance? Uh, in one or five or 10 years from now, will this still matter? What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, is this going to matter down the road? Like it feels like right now it's going to matter, but is it really going to matter tomorrow morning? Uh, does this benefit others? Does it actually help other people thrive or does it tear them down? Does this help dignify and redeem humanity? Does this help push, push creation forward and humanity forward? Does it like bring us back a bit? Does this help me live in the presence of God? What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, what it is I'm about to serve. It, it, does God want any part of this? Does this help me live in the presence of God or, or does God like kind of want to hide his face from me on this one? Uh, what does this show others about my priorities and values? If people are watching me live, and, and trust me, they're watching you live, what does this show other, others about what's important to you, what you prioritize, what you value, what you're serving? There was this spring a commercial uh, about Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, a basketball player, played for a long time, just retired at the end of this last season. And throughout this season, he had been swapping jerseys with some of his opponents, people who he's friends with, people who he respects, people he's been playing against for years. And so he'd give them his jersey at the end of the game and they'd give him their jersey. And then there was a commercial that came out where Dwayne Wade was presented with five more jerseys. And so Dwayne Wade had this wall full of all these jerseys he's collected and he's getting five more. 
And so he's kind of standing in, in at center court of the Miami Heat arena where he played. And one by one, these five people come out and exchange jerseys with him. One was a woman whose family house burned down like 10 days before Christmas. And so Dwayne Wade uh, took this family on a shopping spree to help kind of salvage <laughs> Christmas and some of their possessions. And uh, he, he supported this family. And so she made him this T-shirt and that she gave to him. And that was her jersey she gave to him. There was a woman who young woman who wanted nothing more than to go to college, but her family couldn't afford it. And so Dwayne Wade um, paid for her to go to college, essentially gave her a, a full ride scholarship. And uh, she brought him her cap and gown from graduation. That was the jersey that she gave to him. There was a young man who, uh, in his words, came from an area or a neighborhood where not a lot of people make it. And he was kind of going down the wrong path. And Dwayne Wade became a friend and a mentor and an encourager to him and helped him get, according to this guy, on the right path. And he, his jersey to, to Dwayne Wade was the blazer, the coat he wore to his first job interview. There was a young woman whose brother got shot last year in the Parkland, Florida school shooting. And Dwayne Wade uh, reached out to the family, was a support to the family. At one game, wrote her brother's name on his shoe. And so the jersey she brought him was her brother's high school basketball jersey. And then the last person was Dwayne Wade's mom. Remember this commercial? When Dwayne Wade was young, her mom, his mom made some uh, pretty unhealthy decisions. I think she actually ended up in jail. Wasn't around a bunch for Dwayne Wade, I don't think. And when she got out of jail, uh, she started telling people what God had, had done in her life and started helping people. And so Dwayne Wade bought her a church. <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. He bought his mom a church where these ministries started and, and a bunch of people have been helped. And so Dwayne Wade's mom, the jersey she gave him was one of her pastor robes. And you think about these stories of the house burning down and wanting to go to college and, and coming from a place where not a lot of people make it and brother getting shot in a school, killed in a school shooting and mom going to jail and having her life turned around. And, the, and how Dwayne Wade, the part he played in these stories. Uh, questions. In one, five, or ten years from now, will these things Dwayne Wade did still matter? <laughs> yes. Yes, they will. D does, do these things help dignify and redeem huma humanity? Yeah. Do these things benefit others? Yeah. Do these things help us at least realize the presence of God? Yeah, what does this show others about Dwayne Wade's priorities and values? Now, I'm not, I've, I've, I've never talked to Dwayne Wade. I don't, I don't know uh, about his, his faith, but here's what I know. Uh, these show us a bit about what Dwayne Wade prioritizes and values and what's important to him. Which brings us to the question, what's important to you? What do you prioritize? What do you value? Are you serving what's worth serving? Are you serving the kingdom of God or are you serving something else? Because what I think this world needs is all of us to start saying things and doing things that show people that we actually value and prioritize the things of Jesus. And so my encouragement to us is that we go and do those things. My friends, this has been experience number 25. Serve what's worth serving. Grace and peace. Much love.